0: Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, chief religion correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Uh, It was a little title. It was a title that caught my eye like a flash because it seemed radically incongruous. It said, Nancy Pelosi is blessed. Well, yes. In general, we are all blessed because we are alive. But this is this was after Pelosi's home archbishop Salvatore uh, Salvatore Cordileone of the San Francisco Archdiocese had just publicly called her out that she was not allowed to present herself for Holy Communion because of her radical support of abortion. In his public statement, Cordileone said, "Quote: After numerous attempts to speak with her to help her understand the grave evil she is." perpetrating the scandal she is causing and the danger to her own soul she is risking. I have determined that the point has come in which I must make a declaration that she is not admitted to Holy Communion unless and until she publicly repudiates her support for abortion, uh, abortion rights and confesses and receives absolution for her cooperation in this evil in the sacrament of penance. So why would someone write that Pelosi is blessed after that and the person who wrote the article in the in the catholicthing.org is father gerald murray a uh, conservative priest who leads the church of the holy family very near the united nations here in manhattan and he also he's also an expert on canon law and a commentator on all things catholic he's the subject of a new book called calming the storm and he joins me now welcome father murray
1: Lauren, thank you very much. Great to be with you.
0: Um, You know, first of all, let's just why do you call Nancy Pelosi blessed?
1: I call her blessed because her archbishop uh, loves her so much that he was willing to make her angry at him in order to remind her of her duty as a follower of Christ uh, to obey and support the Ten Commandments, in particular the commandment, thou shalt not kill, Uh, he is concerned about her soul. So even though she is a well-known pro-abortion politician, uh, she is, more importantly, uh, a baptized Catholic, a follower of Christ, and he's calling her to repent. He's calling her to come back to following Christ in the flock. And that is a blessing. It may be a blessing that pains her at the moment, but we hope it's, you know, the kind of pain that will wake her up and to realize that she's been making a terrible mistake by supporting abortion.
0: I mean, I wonder if she is pained or uh, they, it, I would imagine that she's a little more irritated than anything else. But I I, I don't know because she's never really talked about it, I don't think. Um, but, you know, people will say this is just about politics. This isn't about, you know. Corte you know, professing some kind of love for one of his flock. And it's just about politics. What do you say?
1: Well, if you understand politics to be, you know, the exercise of power and to try to influence powerful people to favor you, then it's clearly not about politics, because if there was anything that was going to you know, risk the archbishop uh, being on the bad list of Nancy uh, Pelosi, it's to tell her that she's in a terrible position. So it's really about salvation of her soul, about avoiding scandal. It's about instructing the rest of us out there that the Catholic Church really means it when we say that abortion is evil and wrong and that we shouldn't support it. Um, You know, politics has its important role in life and we're blessed in a free country where we get to elect our representatives. Uh, But politics is secondary in in the real world. What really counts is uh, what kind of a person am I Am I honest, truthful, and most importantly, do I believe in God and try to follow his will? And the bishop's job is to tell people, well, this is the will of God Mm -hmm. and uh, we have to follow it.
0: Yeah, but how much is she going to count out to the archbishop? I mean, one of the things that she's got is certainly support from, you know, many Democratic colleagues and certainly the secular world. And you heard on The View, you know, how they were just saying, you know, it's not Coeur job to tell her this. And a Catholic said, well, yes, it is. And, uh, you know, hi, hi. so so she has a lot of support. But then also, it's not just the secular world. It's not just Protestants. It's really other Catholics. Many Catholics support abortion. You know, woman's right to choose. So what's wrong with that if you're Catholic?
1: Yes. Well, this is part of the crisis we face that so many Catholics have mistakenly drawn the wrong conclusion. They think that you can be a good Catholic and support abortion. And that's simply not true. Uh, It's a contradiction against God's command, thou shalt not kill, uh, to then say, on the other hand, uh, we are allowed to kill unborn children. Uh, And, you know, Catholics who believe that are seriously mistaken. And we have to remind them uh, that uh, the truth of Christ doesn't change, uh, and that the fact that people think they have a veto power over the Ten Commandments doesn't mean they do. Uh, so it's, it is something that is of great concern. And as a priest, you know, we're, we're used to forgiving sins in confession, uh, which is uh, one of the blessings that God gave to the church. Uh, but before anybody shows up for confession, they have to be convinced they've committed a sin. So our duty is also to preach to them.
0: I see. You know, one of the things that many commentators have said who are against this, saying that, that you're weaponizing the Eucharist, that this is not something for the saved. This is something for the sinner. Um, and so is it, is it that element of saying withholding the Eucharist for someone who really whose soul is deeply in need of it, that you're weaponizing the Eucharist? What do you say?
1: Yeah, that's using uh, a current slogan uh, in the, you know, military sphere, and then it's gone into the social and political sphere. So uh, anytime you pose a counter argument uh, to someone, they claim, oh, you're pointing a weapon at me. Uh, Not at all. The Eucharist is the medicine of eternal life. Um, But we read in the scriptures, particularly St. Paul, uh, that we can we have to approach receiving the Holy Eucharist with the right disposition Uh, So it's to tell someone that in order to benefit from receiving Holy Communion, you have to avoid grave sin. And you certainly have to avoid scandalizing people by claiming that uh, the religion is wrong about its teaching on abortion. Uh, It's it's not a weaponization. The, The real story here is that calling sinners to repentance involves some anguish. Uh, and um, but that anguish is good because mm-hmm. it's tough love. You know, t- tough love is tough and it's still love, though.
0: Yeah. You're you're an expert, expert on canon law. Um, and many times in these arguments and these debates, canon law 915 is cited. Can you explain what this law is um, in the Catholic Church?
1: Yes. Well, in, in general, canon law is a series of laws that have been written over the centuries to try to guide the internal life of the church and then also to guide uh, the faithful in how they're supposed to live their lives. So Canon 915 concerns uh, those who will be admitted to Holy Communion, and it says the following, those who obstinately persist in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. So obstinately persist in manifest grave sin. So we have someone here who's, this is public knowledge, it's not a private matter. In fact, she talks about it all the time that she supports abortion. She's done this over many years. She's persistent in it. She's been warned by the bishop not to do this, but she ignores him. And it is a grave matter to support the killing of unborn children is something that's very gravely wrong. So the canon law here is designed to wake people up, that they cannot contradict the faith that they profess and then continue to enjoy uh, access to the sacraments because it's harmful to them and harmful to others that she keep receiving communion It gives the impression that the catholic church is perfectly fine with abortion mm-hmm. which of course she is not
0: you know um you call it you call it in the ar- article a holy and legitimate use of course of power now i mean how can coercion ever be holy i mean god doesn't coerce us to love him so how can any kind of coercion be holy
1: no, coercion is used all the time in life because coercion means that we take means to dissuade people from doing something that's going to be harmful to them. Uh, so, you know, in the Catholic Church, as in any society, we have laws and rules that are designed to, you know, stop people from doing what's wrong. You know, in the state of the police power, you know, if you see someone running down the street with a hammer chasing someone, uh, the police are going to tackle that guy and arrest him, you mm-hmm. know, to stop him. Uh, if we see someone in the Catholic Church who's saying to everybody, the Catholic Church is wrong about abortion, everybody should change their mind. In fact, uh, the bishops don't even believe it, but they won't say it. So I'm going to be the prophet and tell everybody they're wrong. No. At that point, we stop them. Now we don't have a policeman who's going to, you know, tackle her in the street. That's just an analogy. But what we do have the power to administer the sacraments properly and will say, no, you are not suited. You're not ready. In fact, you are giving a counter witness by going to communion. Therefore, we're not going to give it to you. And she will say, well, that's not my decision. And the answer is no, it's our decision. The pastors of the church from God have responsibility to decide what the flock needs to do when they're erring. You know, when a sheep wanders from the flock, uh, the shepherd can go out and try to persuade it to come back, but if refuses, what does a shepherd do? He picks up the sheep and carries it back to the flock, mm. and that's really what's going on here.
0: You know, but Cardinal Gregory, who is the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., which is the archdiocese of, you know, the, the Capitol and, you know, the yeah. White House and um, and and over Biden and Pelosi and any other Catholic politician who happens to, you know go to mass in the DC area. and he has said publicly that he would not prevent Biden or Pelosi or any other Catholic politician from um, receiving communion um, just because they don't support just because they support abortion. You know, there is this sort of divide within the, the Bishops conference. I mean, what do you say to uh, someone like Cardinal Gregory? who says he will not prevent them from receiving abortion, uh, receiving uh, uh, communion.
1: Right. Well, I would tell the cardinal respectfully that your eminence, I don't think you are applying canon 19, uh, 915 canon nine fifteen in your diocese. I think you're making a mistake. You know, canon law is law. It's not a series of suggestions. So he should apply it in his diocese. And it's quite clear that Nancy Pelosi fits the conditions here. Uh, She's manifestly, obstinately persisting in manifest grave sin by her public support for abortion. Uh, That's that's not in question. So canon law tells, well, what should we do about that person? They should not be admitted to Holy Communion. Now, he would disagree with me. He would obviously he stated shortly after Archbishop Corleone, his spokesman, said that nothing was changing in Washington. I -hmm. think that's a mistake. And I regret that the American bishops aren't united on this because, um, they you know, tried
0: once. Has, they tried once, but Pope Francis kind of, you know, kiboshed that.
1: Well, that's a very regrettable thing that happened. And it was Pope Francis has a a, a cardinal in charge of the what's called the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. He's named Cardinal Ladaria. So about a year ago, the bishops were meeting and they were discussing communion. And Cardinal Ladaria sent a letter to them saying, "We'll go very slow on this and get back to us before you make any decisions. So the bishops... You know, they were ready to have a big discussion on it, but essentially they backed down and they simply say, well, politicians who are supporting abortion should not come to communion. But they didn't say we as bishops are decreeing that the fact that these people continue to support abortion publicly disqualifies Mm -hmm. them from being admitted to Holy Communion.
0: I think that the, the Pope Francis has has kind of confused the issue as well. I would think because he's met with Pelosi. Um, he's never publicly said anything about her support of abortion or any other Catholic politician's support of abortion, although he said publicly that, you know, abortion is a you know grave sin. Um, mm. But 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 I think he has. I mean, I'm pretty sure he has somewhere along. Oh, the no, he's
1: he, oh, no, he actually Go he ahead. said abortion's like hiring a hitman to solve a problem. And it's wrong. Yeah. So he has come out against abortion, but he has not specifically addressed the question of President Biden and Speaker Pelosi. But but this is very confusing,
0: though, because he has met with uh, Pelosi. He's met with um, Biden. He has had the photo ops. and, And I think and he's had photo ops with other very liberal kinds of Catholics. And the photo op basically gives the impression to the Catholics that he affirms their choices. And so, isn't he? Isn't he confusing? Okay. (laughs) Well,
1: no. It gives that impression. I don't think he agrees with their position. In fact, I know he doesn't because he doesn't believe that abortion is right, as do Pelosi and Biden. Uh, But on the other hand, he's not willing to take steps to publicly rebuke them. I regret it because when it comes to the mafia, for instance. Uh, He made a statement, you know, not too long ago saying that, you know, everybody in the mafia is is excommunicated because they're Mm -hmm. not living according to the the law of Christ. And, um, you know, that be that, you know, that's at the mafia is horrible. I'm glad the Pope's speaking out against them. But, you know, abortion is sort of the hidden crime that Mm -hmm. goes under the guise of women's rights, even though 50 percent of the victims are women. So it's, it's a wrong, wrong way of seeing things. And I wish the pope were more strong on this. But. He makes his decisions and then, you know, he, he, we all have to, you know, contribute to the discussion by offering other perspectives.
0: Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't. You're not really on his on his, um, you know, nice list. Um, you and other conservatives. I, I would like
1: to be. I don't know if he has a nice list. But- <laughs> <I> know, he, <laughs> he bas- well,
0: you know, um, uh, Archbishop Chapu, the retired Archbishop Chapu, actually said to me on this uh, podcast that um, he got from uh, someone close to the Pope that the Pope has basically said, don't, don't I don't want any more bishops like Shapu, or, you know, those 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 American conservative bishops that, um, you know, are really quite vocal. He doesn't like that. And yet.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. He did say that, apparently. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and yet he has not chastised the liberal Catholics for their position on abortion. What's what
1: what's well, up with that? I. Look, uh, there's a woman in Italy named Emma Bonino, who is a, a basically a left wing activist. And, she, you know, the pope has praised her for her environmental uh, stance, you know, and, and to try and preserve the environment. But she's also the foremost promoter of abortion in Italy. Wow. And the pope didn't rebu- rebuke her uh, when he met with her or spoke about her. So, you know, that, talk about compartmentalizing uh, your 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 attitude. Um, I think it's very unfair uh, to praise someone for one aspect of their life, but not connect it with something else that's really horrible, uh, because it gives the impression that you're happy and fine with this person. So, um, you know, the job of the pope and the bishops and priests like me is to what does Jesus want us to hear, and how are we going to communicate it? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Jesus made a lot of enemies among people who came to hear him because he said to them, "You got to reform your lives." right uh, and don't, don't become self-satisfied you know he who has you know he was without sin cast the first stone uh, when they were ready to stone the woman caught in adultery and you know it worked they dropped the stones and they left uh hopefully they changed in in their hearts too but at least we know that when the words of the lord sting uh that they're you know making making their purpose known and, and felt
0: uh, we're um, we're going to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be back with uh, Father Joel Marie in just a moment.
1: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics and entertainment. Subscribe now on FoxNewsPodcast dot com or wherever you download podcasts.
0: And we're back at Lighthouse Faith Podcast with Father Gerald Murray, who um, wrote an interesting article in the catholicthing.org dot org called "Nancy Pelosi is Blessed." I would encourage people to kind of to to look it up and listen to it, be, or, and actually read it because it's very interesting kind of concept on um, the denying or publicly denying an um, Nancy Pelosi communion. Um, um, because of her stance on abortion. But, uh, Father Murray, you actually have another thing I want to talk about, too, which is, you know, this book that's out called Calming the Storm. And it essentially is an extended interview with you. I mean, like a 400-page interview with you. How did that format came, come about?
1: Well, um, this book was done with Diane Montagna, who is a American journalist in Rome, who is a, basically a specialist on the Vatican. And she had done an interview book with a a bishop from Kazakhstan um, named Archbishop Athanasius Schneider. And I read that book and I loved it. In fact, I gave an endorsement to it. And then uh, Scott Hahn, who is a professor at Steubenville, Franciscan University of Steubenville. He also operates a publishing house in connection with the St. Paul Biblical Center. Mm -hmm. And he said to Diane and myself, why don't you guys do an interview book? And I said, that sounds good to me. Um, You know, I've been doing TV and radio commentary for about 20 years, but never wrote a book. And as we all know, writing a book's a lot of work. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. And I'm trying to run a parish here. And God willing, I said, well, sitting down and being interviewed and then transcribing and reviewing it, that's more manageable. Yeah. And Diane's a pro uh, as a journalist and, and having done a previous interview book. So. The book basically covers both the Catholic Church and American society uh, and the challenges we face as believers uh, in dealing with the different uh, issues that come up.
0: Yeah, you start out basically with, you know, other than the sort of background bio on you which is very interesting i learned a lot actually um you start basically on talking about the church we're saying you know that we're in the age of confusion um that there are a lot of people who just don't understand what their faith is all about catholicism and i'm and, and i have to remind people that i am not catholic although i probably seem like catholic to most people and i have a lot of catholic friends and you know, I my husband is Greek Orthodox, which means I'll probably join the Greek Orthodox Church before I join the Catholic Church. I'm for, um, you know, sorry about that, Father Marie.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, the but doors I, always I, open.
0: I, I hear, but I hear you've got, um, you can you can actually, you know, uh, you have what you call that shared communion uh, between the Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church. I think you can do that.
1: There are conditions, or when that's. Possibly, yes. Right. Um, I was struck by this
0: paragraph, and I'm just going to read it because I think it really describes a lot of the things that we're we're kind of going through in within um, the church and in as it sits in this sort of. Um, worldview of the, the secular worldview. And this is the quote, it says, A strange temptation of our times is to view Catholicism not as a revealed religion that makes demands upon those who believe in it, but rather as an individual experience of what matters most to a person with no necessary connection to what any church authority might say or do. In this scenario, bishops and priests are there to fulfill a largely decorative role in the lives of the faithful. But each Catholic gets to decide what he or she Will believe in. And I think that kind of summarizes the issue that we're dealing with today, right?
1: Absolutely. In fact, this is um, one of the things that really marks uh, the current situation in our world where people basically say it's up to me to decide what I'm going to believe in and the particulars of that belief. And um, The Catholic Church says, yes, faith is a personal choice to believe in Jesus Christ and in the Catholic Church. But once you make that decision, now it's up to the church to tell you what the content of that belief is and how to interpret the scriptures, the traditions, uh, how to live out your faith. In other words, it's not a do-it-yourself experience where you decide, Mm -hmm. well, I find these things significant, so I'm going to believe in them. I disagree with those other things. I'm going to ignore them. Uh, no, it's we. I say it's a package deal. You know, you when you join the Catholic Church or you're baptized and you start learning the faith, um, it's all there, and yeah. uh, it's up to us to say yes to it, not to say yes with with the reservations.
0: You know, one of the uh, Protestant minister, by the way, um, that I admire, um, he basically said, you know, if, if God's word doesn't challenge you or, or contradict you at any point, uh, and just confirms all your life choices, this is a clue. This is a clue that you are basically worshiping worshiping a God of your own creation. Um, and it, it, you know, these ideas that, you know, I decide what's right or wrong for myself is very it, – it, it operates a sort of a tacit foundation for most secular worldviews. The secular worldview that, you know, God is there to affirm me, not to um, – not to be an authority in my life, you know. He's more mm-hmm. of a concept, and you know, you and I kind of believe this. But you, you have been frustrated <clears throat> with people sort of molding God's word to fit their life. And one of the things, one of the clues is your very short, um, uh, very <laughs> short stint on the uh, what is it? The 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 marriage uh, tribunal uh, with the, the the New York archdiocese. Archdiocese
1: of New York. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, you, it was only a few months. I mean, you did you quit or
1: were you fired? I was actually fired uh, because I because I told the person in charge, the the priest, that I wasn't going to go along with uh, basically rubber stamping annulment requests, that I was going to apply the legal standards used in Rome, uh, which were much more strict than the legal standards used in America. And uh, he said, no, we follow American standards. I said, sorry, I don't. I follow the ones in Rome. So that led to my being fired. but, uh, you know, that didn't bother me that much. I was happily assigned to work in a parish, which is, you know, most priests' dream is to you know, serve the people of God in a, in a parish and do other things in addition. So uh, that, that all worked out for the good. But, you know, it, it did highlight a crisis that we have, even within the Catholic Church, that some people basically say, it's up to me to decide what I'm gonna believe in. And it's not that way it really isn't otherwise as you know the Protestant minister you quoted is saying we're basically self-worshipping we're saying to myself what a great accomplishment i've arrived at the perfect way to live for myself and i did it all by myself and now god's smiling on me yeah well that's not the way it is that's the, the imaginary religion of you know mr or mrs x who decide that's the way they want to live
0: you know one of the um, verses i have several Biblical verses that I keep in my note file, in my phone, that are sort of for memorizing. If I you know just keep reading and reading, I'll memorize them eventually. But one of them that oh, is dear. always very important to me is Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, because it kind of locks you into this understanding of God's authority in your life. And it says, for the word of God is living and active Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And everything, all creatures, are naked and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. I think, to me, that should scare the bejeebies out of most people. Um, if you, re- I mean, really, <laughs> you know what I mean? There is no yep. escape. Oh, yeah. And there is no escape, and God's already understanding what your thoughts and intentions are. You cannot hide from God. You can hide from other people, um, your constituents, uh, You know, even your, your spouse, but you can't hide from God. Um, and the word of God then is living and active, which means God's word has power. it's not just words on a sheet of paper it has power that that's why i say it should scare most people um and you know i think this is where i i was thinking about this age of confusion that we have and this is a very dangerous thing because most people think god's word is just yeah words on a piece of paper but it's living and active that creates a different scenario so where did we get this age of confusion how did this come about for us
1: well in the book i do a little philosophical background of what we're dealing with you know a large part of it comes from the enlightenment period you know going back to all kinds of theories relativism idealism uh um now as a catholic the this uh, may not be make make some of my Protestant brothers and sisters happy, but I Protestant Reformation,
0: <laughs> yeah, those those Protestant, heretics, the Protestants.
1: Yeah, we love our Protestant brothers and sisters, but we don't agree with Protestant doctrines such as mm-hmm. the one I highlight in the book, which is private judgment, which essentially Calvin and Luther taught that each individual is inspired by the Holy Spirit to understand the meaning of the scriptures. Uh, They didn't need a church authority to tell them what the meaning was. Mm. And I think that lies behind a large part of the Western disorientation because people have adopted that as their way of interpreting everything. Now, in the past, most believers would agree, uh, you know, abortion is wrong. I shouldn't steal, shouldn't lie. But now we get a whole bunch of people who are justifying all kinds of sins on the basis, well, uh, I'm not going to be bound by what some people wrote down on a book 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I understand things better than was then, now is. And there was then. In other words, all these relativistic things come up. Um, yeah, so within when the Catholic Church and you know lives a reality where people are acting on the basis of Nancy Pelosi. Well, I don't judge it to be wrong to be supporting abortion. On the other hand, I do judge that I am a good Catholic. So stop bothering me. Uh, no. The Catholic Church never sees it that way.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um I, 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 one of the other things you talk about in the book, and I want to kind of briefly go over this is talking about the the priest teaching um that you know, you've got uh, this element within the Catholic Church, and this is where the sexual abuse crisis came from. And no one's really talking about it much. And one of the things I wanted to, to kind of bring out and we is this idea. Um, and this is this is what ruffles a lot of people, um, you know, in terms of the causes, um, the root causes of the sexual abuse crisis. And you actually call it, you said there's people, the secular media won't look at the homosexual aspects of it. And you actually bring that out in the book. Now, I have to um, talk about that, that Bill Donahue, who wrote in his book on the sexual abuse crisis, the same thing. But nobody wants to talk about this, um, you know is it a big issue is it a big problem but why but more importantly why aren't people talking about it
1: well this is the um part of the sexual revolution that we've arrived at where homosexuality is viewed as a natural condition uh that people are born with and therefore uh to criticize them is is prejudicial because in fact they say God made us that way. So therefore, why are you telling me that I shouldn't, you know, live as a homosexual? And the Catholic Church teaches, no, God made everyone male and female with a natural attraction, one for the other. And that homosexual attraction is a disorientation. It's a misuse or for whatever reason, people are uh, you know, inclined to do something that is wrong. And uh, within the Catholic Church, many men who had homosexual temptation became priests, or after they became priests, they decided homosexual activity was something they wanted to engage in for whatever reason. And they took advantage uh, of uh, basically teenage boys. There was a survey that the American Bishops commissioned by the John Jay College of Mm -hmm. Criminal Justice here in New York City. That survey showed, I think it was 87 percent or 86 percent of the victims of uh, sexual abuse by clergy were male minors uh, mm-hmm. and they were teenagers. They weren't, you know, children uh, under under eight years old. They were people, teenagers, so they were sexually matured or maturing youths. So you're saying that that wasn't pedophilia. It, it wasn't was, pedophilia as, as understood, you know, medically as an attraction for pre-pubescent okay. children. Uh, mm-hmm. This was homosexual interest in, in uh, young victims. So... Uh, That's a fact Uh, Cardinal McCarrick was a perfect example of what was going on. He targeted seminarians and other young men uh, who he had influence over. He used his power to compel them to do evil acts. Uh, They were innocent and not responsible when he forced himself on them. But he is the evil one Uh, and he got away with it for years. He used his power to hide. Uh, Thank God he is facing prosecution now in Massachusetts for one of those crimes. Um, But you know, it's uh, we're living in an age in which normality is being rejected as a standard. You've heard, you've heard this word heteronormativity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How can you teach children that the way life is, is this mommy and daddy, and that's the way it's supposed to be? Now, two daddies, two mommies, or 10 daddies and five mommies. In other words, everything. And then, you know, man can become a woman when he wants to, and vice versa. Uh, this is the, the Catholic Church based on natural law and revelation says, no, uh, we are what we are. And uh, medical science supports this. That's enough. Follow the science is always cast aside when, you mm-hmm. know, a man wants to swim on the women's swim team. Oh yeah. Come on. Yeah. Well, tell that, tell that to the women who can no longer win their own races. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, we could uh, talk at length about this, but I want to get on to the next phase um, and, and kind of wrap this up with talking about the new Cardinals that Pope Francis, yes. um, Named 27 new cardinals, 16 of which are able to vote in the next conclave, which is picking the new Bishop of Rome. We've got an 85 year old pope who is really struggling. You know, last time, you know, he's in a wheelchair now um, because his knees hurt so badly and he won't have an operation because of uh, some other physical kind of challenges that might uh, be brought um, to the surface as well. Um, but talk about these 27 new cardinals and what is it? say to you about how Pope Francis is shaping the Catholic Church?
1: Well, the Pope, when he became Pope, uh, said that he wasn't going to follow the normal procedure, which was that cardinals would essentially be from major cities around the world, you know, Paris, New York, London. Mm -hmm. uh, and, And then there would also be those bishops working in the Roman Curia, which is basically you know, the the bureaucracy that helps the pope to run the universal church. So those are the traditional categories of, of cardinals, those in Rome and those in important cities. Mm-hmm. He said, we're going to pick people from the periphery. So this last um, group, he picked a bishop from Mongolia. Wow. Uh, and there were less than 2000 Catholics in the whole country. Uh, and now their bishop is a cardinal. Uh, This he himself said he was stunned. Uh, He's 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 now going to be the youngest cardinal. I think he's 47 years old. Yeah, he's going to be the youngest cardinal (laughs) in the Catholic Church. And um, there's no direct flight from Mongolia to Rome. so (laughs) He's going to have getting back and forth to Rome is going to be quite a struggle for him. But God bless him. You know, he's a mis- Italian missionary. The other thing, he's not a Mongolian. He's a missionary from Italy who, who's working there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for us, interest in the United States, the Bishop of San Diego, uh, Robert McElroy, was named a cardinal. Uh, while the Archbishop of Los Angeles, uh, right. Archbishop Jose Gomez, who is the Archbishop of the largest archdiocese in the whole United States, he's also the president of the bishops' conference. He was not named. Yeah, and that,
0: yeah, yeah, Philadelphia. Los Angeles
1: right. and San, San Francisco, Francisco Detroit, you, know. you know, other places have had cardinals in the past. I think the message here is that, uh, Bishop McElroy is in line with Pope Francis, vision for the church and Archbishop Gomez isn't. Mm. Uh, and I regret that because within the church, you know, people like Archbishop Gomez having a different perspective, uh, should not be viewed as disqualifying from serving as a cardinal. And, uh, Uh, Yeah, so I, I, you know, what can you say?
0: But what is Uh, he what is he what is his vision for the Catholic Church globally? I mean, to to have if you've got these cardinals who are in these very small communities and certainly, you know, God love them. I mean, I think there's a point to that. But if you're not in major metropolitan areas and influencing, you know, millions of people, how does that help the Catholic Church?
1: Well, it's a good question, Lauren. And I can say that, you know, typically the cardinals coming from big dioceses, you know, like my cardinal here in New York or, you know, the cardinal in London, you know, they represent a very significant population and they're in, you know, they're in a position of leadership in their country as religious leaders. They have influence. So um, all of that contributes to in the process of men becoming bishops that, you know, the cream rises to the top is is how it's been viewed historically, that men who are proven and tried would be promoted. Now, you know, if the basic criteria comes down to, does the Pope, number one, know who you are and like you? Mm. Uh, and if he likes you and you're from a small and minor diocese, um, you know, the Diocese of Goa in India got a cardinal, but that's relatively small compared to some of the other places that didn't. So uh, the Archbishop of Paris newly named he was not made a cardinal um so yeah we're uh the, the pope said he when he came in i want to shake things up so we're in a shake-up mode and uh you know there's good aspects to shaking things up but then there's also the disconcerting uncertainty of you know where's this all leading
0: yeah but he he still he created a cardinal from of uh, Cardinal Gregory in Washington, D.C. Obviously, Cardinal Gregory is in line with the Pope's politics and how he views the world. But also, how did it also have to do with the fact that uh, Gregory is an African-American?
1: Yes, and I'm glad he, you know, made an African-American a cardinal. Uh, this is a good thing. And, uh, you know, black Catholics, African-American Catholics are one of the glories of our church here in the U.S. Uh, and, you know, it's... So the recognition, for instance, of putting a black uh, bishop, making him cardinal that's a great thing. He's also the archbishop of the nation's capital. He should be. But, you know, we had Archbishop Chaput, who was a Native American, uh, the Archbishop of Philadelphia. And you commented earlier that the Pope had said he didn't want any more bishops like him. Well, he never got to be promoted cardinal.
0: Right. And right.
1: Archbishop Gomez is, a, is an immigrant from Mexico. Uh, and you know, the Pope says we have to welcome immigrants and all, and that's very true. Well, if there was ever a sign that you could give on the value of immigrant, you know, clergy in the United States is to say, well, an immigrant priest from Mexico is now going to be a Cardinal. Um, but he decided not to do that. So he's entitled to make these decisions, of course, but you can always, there's nothing disloyal in saying to the Pope, I. Holy Father, I think you missed a few things here. No, That would have been, <laughs> you know, been helpful to everybody yeah. if they were considered.
0: Well, Father Gerald Murray, thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Um, the book is called Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crisis Facing the Catholic Church and Society. Um, that book is out. And also uh, check out the article in the Catholic thing called Nancy Pelosi is Blessed. Um, it's it's pretty eye-opening. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast.
1: God bless you, Lauren. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And thank you all for listening to the podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day.